Hello and welcome to Unit on Chain, a podcast series from Unit London. My name is Abigail Miller and I'm the Associate Director of Web3 at Unit London. Unit on Chain offers a ground for critical discussions for artists and thought leaders from the Web3 ecosystem. Season one of our podcast coincides with In Our Code, a highly anticipated exhibition of generative and digital art in partnership with AOI. On display from September 13th to October 15th, exclusively at Unit London. Hi everyone. In today's episode, Zach Lee Ruman and Che Yu Wu talk about the journey into creative coding from other disciplines, the poetics of creating interactive experiences, and educating the next generation of digital artists. Keep listening to find out more. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Unit on Chain. We have two great guests here today with us, Zach Lieberman and Che Yu Wu. And today we're going to be talking about everything from poetry, interactive experiences, and teaching creative coding. So today we have Zach Lieberman, who is an artist educator currently based in New York City. He studied fine art, painting, and printmaking, if I am correct, taught Parsons School of Design for a decade, and helped create the School of Poetic Computation. Zach creates artworks with code and focuses on building experimental drawing and animation tools. He also helped create Open Frameworks, which is an open source C framework for creative coding. He currently is a professor at MIT Media Lab, where he helps run the future um, sketches group. We'll also have Che Yu Wu, who is a new media artist, designer, engineer, speaker, and entrepreneur. He first trained as an electrical engineer in Taiwan before acquiring a master's degree in integrated digital media from New York University. He draws inspirations from nature, physics, modern art, mathematical rhythm, and music to create his compounding algorithmic works and explore border between art and engineering and establish interactive experiences. And today he's calling in from Taiwan as well. So thank you for being here so late in the night. Oh, hi. So welcome both of you. Kind of, I just want to get started with our first question. I would love to know you guys' transitions into creative coding because both of you have such a technical background. Was there always an interest in art or was there like a specific moment for you both? I'm happy to start. My background is in fine art. So I studied painting and printmaking and I actually... I wasn't very technical at all, but I had to get a job and everybody was doing web design and talking about Y2K and the world's going to end in the year 2000. And I got a job and, and I totally lied my way into a job. Like I, I said I had a design background, but my background was in fine arts. And I bluffed my way into a job and I discovered that you could, you know, really learn anything. You go to the bookstore, get a $50 book about Photoshop or about Illustrator. And I was learning these tools that I, we were using, you know, for the work. And a tool that really struck me was Flash. And Flash was this amazing tool where you could write a line of code to make something move. It was a timeline tool, it was an animation tool, but it also had this programming component. And I just fell in love. And I think from that moment, the moment that I saw that you could write text and turn something into motion, I felt just enamored and fell in love with it. And I headed in that direction. Amazing. And then, Che, you, your kind of background is in electrical engineering. What was that shift like for you? Or was it always there similar to Zach's? Actually, it's pretty fun because when I was young, I, I liked like, making animations with Flash, like in middle school or high school or something. And that's how I started, like, step a little bit into design and kind of making motions and making 
interactive works like this. But after that, because I study electrical engineering in Taiwan and I started to feel like that I have some desire to create something, not only create a program or to solve problems. I love to create something visual that is like vivid and evolving. So that's how I started to create interactive websites. And I opened a design studio, a website studio to create websites for people. But the more I step into that, I feel that there's something different when I'm making like the pure animation or pure interaction of that. So that's why actually I, I saw Zach Biberman's work a long time ago. And that's kind of my dream because to in uh, the MIT Media Lab and also Poetic Computation, that's how I, why I want to come to New York. And then I applied to New York University and studied kind of creative coding and new media art. Wow. So it's really come full circle today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Zach, with your kind of like printmaking and painting background, do you still see that impacting your work today very heavily or is, has it transitioned over the years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's something, you know, printmaking is a really technical art form. It's also a very social art form. So you're hanging out in the printmaking studio and you're... There are all of these processes where you're, I don't know, inking a plate and putting paper in water and doing all of the mechanical things to make a work. And I think there's also something so social about it. You know, most people think about making art as this sort of solitary experience. And when you're in a printmaking studio, it's like a lot of hanging out and commenting and, oh, did you try this? Just the sort of sharing of knowledge that happens in a printmaking studio is really profound. So I, I feel a kind of similar feeling when I'm working with code and with open source tools that we're, it is a really technical work. Like we're building all of these kind of libraries and instruments in order to make the artwork, but there's also a social component and there's a lot of sharing and collaboration that happens in this field. So it, it feels like a kind of extension of the printmaking studio, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's really interesting that you bring up like the community aspect and like open source because me and Che Yu just had a conversation on Monday about everything that Che Yu you do is open source and you can go onto your website and kind of see everything in your process and go and see those works. Is that element of community like really important to your work as well? Yeah, I think it's hard because I think it's hard for people to just kickstart to become a creative coding or to step into computational art. It's still very new in Taiwan. There was some people like engaging some technical like presentation or to make some algorithm music. There's kind of a different approach in Taiwan, but it's still a small group in Taiwan. So that's why I want to start to make my work more available or more approachable through teaching creative coding or by sharing my code or even recording my credit coding process. So I think that can help the full community to understand this and also share the joy. <laughs> but I think most of the time, the more I give to the community, the more I can learn back afterward and yeah, have some different cool times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something really interesting in terms of the kind of social dynamics of what this, there's a culture around NFTs and people making work and sharing work and seeing the kind of, I don't know, the communities forming. I mean, to me, it's a, it feels like this sort of amalgamation of all these things, whether it's kind of how we all reacted with COVID, hanging out on Discord servers, sort of living a lot of our world online and being way more connected in digital space than I feel it was this real like profound moment of 
maybe intense loneliness at the beginning of COVID and intense like, oh my God, the world has really changed. But then also, okay, now we're able to connect in all these new ways. And I think that NFT thing is really like one facet of that. But I think there's just been a kind of general wave of like, okay, we have all of these connections that we're forming and communities that we're forming and spaces that we're forming. And to me, that's really exciting and strange and interesting for sure. Yeah. And what do you think about this, Cheyu? Kind of as you have recently traveled quite a bit between New York and Taiwan after living in New York, what is it? How different is it? Yeah, I think like people in Taiwan and also in New York have different approach and different understandings for NFTs. So I think in Asia country or in Taiwan, most of the like the media focus on like how you can earn a lot on NFT, but I really don't like that approach a lot. And I like the feeling and also like how we discuss NFT and how we discuss arts in New York and also in, like in the US community or in the Europe community, because I think it's a very unique experience that because NFT and blockchain technology were allowed to transform a lot of different artists on chain and also this chance provided us to understand more about and also have the space to discuss about this artist or like these artists are separate everywhere in the world. The distance between the artists who collect the art is like the very far experience. Then like now we can directly discuss that I just buy something and buy a digital art from my famous artist and then we can like have more connection between that. Yeah. That's great. I would love to bring the next question into both of your artworks in our show. And for the audience that is listening, both Zach and Cheyu are going to be exhibiting in our show that launches September 13th here in London at Unit London called In Our Code. And so they're both showcasing generative artworks. And I would say both of your works have a sense of musicality to them in a form of movement and dynamicism and like a sense of lyricalism. So I'd love to know how both of you imbue kind of like this emotion into your artwork, because you both have spoken about that in the past. And I would just love to know more about that process and what it means. Yeah, I think my work is oftentimes about finding beauty with math. So everything that I do, you know, some stuff I do is interactive or uses different types of inputs like cameras and microphones and so on. But a lot of the generative work that I do is just about numbers and trying to find something that is organic and absurd and interesting with math. And my piece for this show is based on a kind of light simulation. It's an algorithm for simulating light where for every pixel you shoot off in random directions and you say, what am I looking at? What is near me and what color is it? And so you're sort of at a per pixel level simulating or yeah, imagining what the light sources would color this pixel. And then the elements that are creating the light are moving in this circular pattern. It's really like a sphere that has a bit of kind of wobbliness to it. It's not like a geometric primitive, but it's based on a geometric primitive. So the whole idea is to kind of take something really universal, like a globe or a sphere, and just rotate it and see the sort of lights that it creates. And for me, I really like playing with this tension between something which is like really purely mathematical and that is like really organic and has little sub motions and little things happening. And that is the kind of interesting tension in this work. Those like little subtle movements change the pieces. So uh, to me, there's, I think, a really direct connection between movement and feeling. And you can create and convey a lot of different emotions through movement. So I'm excited to bring that to this exhibition. 
Yeah. And Che, you were, I know that you play with like velocity and movement of the particles. And that's kind of like how you imbue your emotion as well as in that movement. I would love if you could walk us through that process as well and like how you use this work as a diary. So actually, I started intensely creating this kind of creative coding work since COVID. That's why I have a lot of emotions to put into like this app. <laughs> so actually creating this kind of work to me is like I will start from a simple idea. Like I want to make light. I want to make a ball like moving around. I want to make some like a tree or something I see in my life. And then after that, I will start from this idea to make a prototype of that. And I will feel that what I want to express in this work. So it's a dynamic and organic process. So after that, I'll feel like, oh, this maybe it can use some different color palette and using a different form, or it can have some interactive factor that user can interact with it. So in this work, like I submit to like in our code exhibition, it's more like particle simulation. I really like to simulate something. I, I like to design a system or design a sub universe and then set the initial condition of all the particles or all the elements inside it and then allow them to interact with each other or allow them to be affected by the space. And I really like that unpredictable result from this kind of experiment and see how this code and how this art can finally be. And in this organic process, I would just adjust it and feel it and then get the final result to like to see how was the final representation of this emotion and of this idea. So kind of transitioning into the poetry elements of creative coding, which I think is evident in both of your works, what is the relationship for you both of poetry? And how do you combine this within your practice? Yeah, I teach at the Media Lab and MIT. And at the Media Lab, there's a phrase that's really kind of well-known or very popular there, which is called demo or die. And the idea is that you always need to demonstrate you're working on some new technology, you need to make a demo of it. And the word demo, if you take those letters and like flip them around, like take the D and flip it upside down to turn it into a P, like you can rearrange the letters and make the word poem. And I often think about this difference between a demo and a poem. A demo is a demonstration of a technology. It's kind of showing you, okay, here's a cool particle system or, I don't know, a Voronoi, you know, a different algorithm. Here's a demonstration of what this algorithm could do. And a poem is actually, I think, speaking with the art first, with what is it that you want to convey about what it means to be human and what it means to be alive. And so I like to focus on the word poetry because it is a reminder for the technology to be in service of the art, that the art and what you want to convey and the meaning that you want to convey should be in the lead and the technology is in service of it. And I think just the comparison between the word poem and demo is a good reminder of kind of... Are we trying to make demos or are we trying to make poems? And that's the question that I ask myself pretty much every day. Yeah, I think it's pretty inspiring. And also I saw that YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, uh, There's a speech. It's really good. Um, it's really we'll put, good. <laughs> we'll put it in the description for the audience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I think that because I start from a more technical background, when I first start making something, I feel that there's something lacking the work. And I, I cannot describe it, but it feels like it's lacking the soul of the work. And I try to find out what is that. And then because everyone can make something by sign and cosine wave by noise, that's just a tool. And just like Zach told us, it's just like a demo. So I think it's 
our subjective thinking of what does it feel like or what does it mean to you? So I started making works like with a more specific emotion, like I draw a work by particles like called Cow's Dancer or drawing like strange robots, meaning like I create a lot of like robot hats, like that is the sea ham on art blocks. And that means that everyone is different. So I draw like a generative robot that have different faces and they can generate like infinite uh, robot hats. So I like to explore this kind of symbols and how we can express our life experience in this work. And I think that is the poem. Yeah, and I think that's what in our code this exhibition is all about, is really looking at the creator, taking a step back and looking kind of at the input-output relationship. And I think coming from the traditional art world, there's so many people that look at generative art and says, oh, it can't be art because the computer is actually making it. What do you guys say in response to that of someone who might not be familiar with generative art? What is it to you both? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond. I think that's a, such a... There's so many people saying yeah. this nowadays. It's like, oh, it can't be art because it's the like computer deciding this randomness. You know, like yeah. the computer has the final say. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tool like any other tool. To me, it's like having a debate about pigments or paintbrushes or something. Like at some point, things feel really radical. You know, in theater to have colored lights, like you wouldn't think twice about that, right? But that was like really shocking to have lights that had color on them on stage. So I think it's... I don't even know how to respond to that. To me, that just seems like such a ludicrous statement. I mean, there are people behind these algorithms, right? There are people who are using these algorithms in this code, in this language, this creative coding language to express themselves. So I think the sentiment that computers made this, so, you know, it's not art, is just a really, like, profoundly wrong. That I don't know how to articulate it. Like, people made the computers. People are using writing software to use these machines to do things. And it's like, that's really interesting. And I think it's important to maybe stress that it's, you know, artists should be there. Artists should be probing these technologies and seeing what's possible with them and expressing with them. And otherwise it's like, what are these machines here for? Just selling us ads? Like, I don't tracking what we do online? Like actually having artists at the table allows us to see what, the possibilities and the limits and the edges and the fuzzy spaces are. So I think that is a ludicrous statement. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I think like all the things are tools, like AI is tool, like someone make art with me journey, someone make with Photoshop. It's just a tool. And also I like that the medium idea, like art can express or exist on all the different medium and creative coding, computer arts are just a medium that people can play on. But the core of that is like people's thought and how they play with that is how we create art. So maybe there's some convenient way to create art, like computer draw something for us. But the initial of that, the people start to think they want to make something, that is the art itself. Yeah, and we couldn't agree with both of you more. And that's kind of what we want to bring generative art to the forefront, especially during Freeze Week here in London. Both of you have created very interactive experiences, and I would love that incorporate public participation. Can both of you give examples of these projects? And more importantly, why do you think public participation is important in certain artwork? Yeah. I mean, I sort of came up in the kind of Ars Electronica world, making interactive work, and I started working with Golden Levin, who is one of my 
teachers. We started working together and making projects at Ars Electronica and media art festivals like that. And a lot of our projects, you know, at that time, and we continue to make work that's interactive, that is about using your body, taking your voice as input, or your movement as input, or drawings as input, or just something that you bring to it. And that you really are creating a kind of feedback loop with the audience where the artwork really doesn't exist or doesn't do much until you come. And it's this weird kind of art form that's about agency, that's about expression, that's about creation and co-creation with the audience member inviting them to be participants. An example of an interactive work, and actually I'm going to present this in Taiwan in December, so excited to be yeah talking to Cheyu today, is a project called Reflection Studies. So it's based on, I have uh, been doing a lot of software studies of light and reflection, and I have so much fun with it, and I want the audience to be able to enjoy that and play with it and in the same way that I do when I'm doing my daily sketches. So I built a light table with, and I laser cut a bunch of pieces, like letters of the alphabet and geometric shapes, and invite the public to put down the pieces on the light table. And then the software is simulating what it would look like if light was actually reflecting off of those pieces. So rays of light sort of bouncing. And there's a button, you can change the kind of light behavior. And what I love about this interactive work is that it's immediately understandable. You come to it, you see there's a camera, you know, you put your hand down on the table and you see yourself and you can understand, okay, I put something on this light table and the visuals are going to change. So it starts with the body and then people sort of goes to the brain and they're trying to figure out, okay, oh, if the light is moving this way, this is how I can trap it. Let me build a little channel for the light to move in. And then it kind of goes back to the body and this sort of, I don't know how to articulate it, but it's this kind of body, mind, body circle that happens with interactive work that I think is really profound and it's starts with the idea that you're physically present and you're touching and interacting with the artwork kind of goes cycles between the body and mind. It's very cybernetic in that sense. Very cool. And then Cheyu, can you talk about some of your projects? I'm very familiar with Soulfish as well. And I own one where you will go in and like move it occasionally, you know, through the screen. And so I'd love to talk about those projects. Yeah, I really like the interactivity part in the project. Like in different approach, one is like, I like my work to be like interactive and real time. So like people can play with it. And also like you can hear the sound. It's like making, uh, like I designed a chord, but it's randomly defined. And also like people can just move the fish around. And when the bubble touches the fish, it will generate another note. So it, it's always uh, different and random music. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Soulfish is one of Che Yu's projects on FX Hash. Just wanted to put that out there for context that we're speaking about here as well. Yeah, so even in my art blocks work, Electris, I keep all the things like evolving and like very dynamic in, rather than a static image. And I think the most special experience of this is I make solo exhibition in Taiwan, in Taipei 101 in May. And then in that experience, I first project my works in a large screen and also in the full immersive space. And that's the first time I feel that it feels really different when people are really engaged and also immersed and like just all the arts are surrounding around you. And in a different scale, people will feel different rather than seeing an image on the website. And in that show, I also make like interactive music. So I'm also making music production and making a lot of like kind of DJ experience in that show. That's how I start feeling that maybe this kind of art can be more. There are some intuitive parts for people to directly feel the art when they see the art and when their action 
can somehow affect how the art form is changing. Yeah. Great. Do you th both think that this year kind of really fully coming out of COVID completely, that physical exhibitions is kind of quite important to further generative art as an art form? Yeah. I mean, I think there's been such a big kind of excitement and investment in this form. And the majority of the work is displayed and consumed online and on social media and so on. There's something so different about seeing work at different scales and actually being face to face with work and being in a space with other people. And I think the power of art is like you can go somewhere and feel something different. And, you know, I had this experience where I was walking around the MoMA recently where I just like every piece made me feel really different, you know, and when this work is consumed, you're scrolling through Instagram, you're looking on Twitter, it's like, there's not a context to actually just have an engagement and just a moment with a work and to actually let it speak to you. So for me, the actual like exhibitions with this work where you can have a conversation with it and really give yourself to the work and the time and the space to interpret the work like that, to me, that's really important. So I'm super excited about it. I think there's, although this is a very cool and interesting space to have all of this work online and on social media. It's just, to me, there's nothing beats being kind of in a physical space. Yeah. I also really like when you see the physical artwork or when it's presented in the physical world, I feel like the time and also it speaks more when it's only on Instagram or on a website. Yeah. I think there's also something really profound in seeing other people see the work. Like, it's not just seeing the work, but actually, like... Actually see someone see your work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, or like yeah, standing... And see someone's reaction also. Yeah, and yeah. to be like, I don't know, you're walking around an exhibit and you, there's like somebody else in the room and like, what are they stopping at? And like, sometimes they're like blocking your view or whatever. And just the idea that you're in a space with other people. And I think, you know, we've had... There's so much of this has been on online and in social media and in this context, but to have real exhibitions with this works very important. Yeah. 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 To me, it's because I'm like growing up in electrical engineering, like kind of fellowship. So it's hard for me to find friends or so like people who is also making this kind of art. So when I have that exhibition, I really like feel a lot when people saw my work and feedback something like they really love the fish, they really like which work and how does this make them feel? Yeah, and that's why we're so excited for in our code is kind of how we're setting up the exhibition is the viewer and audience will have to weave through the whole room and each artist gets their own private viewing room that the viewer steps into this input-output relationship physically. So on one side, they'll see your guys' artwork. And then on the other side, they'll see the objects that you've chosen to represent, like your input. And I would love, while we have you both here, kind of to talk about your input into the artworks for this show. Yeah, Cheyun, you want to... I'm going to look something up. Sorry, I just want to make sure I have the right name. So I don't know, Cheyun, you want to talk about it? Yeah, so like in my work, I think I affect a lot by impressionism. So like the first inspiration and input is kind of, uh, I'm using the Starry Night um, by Van Gogh. And I like impressionism is because the technique of creating this kind of impressionism art is similar to generative art. Traditional artists pick up some pixels and colors in their real life and they change the hue a little bit. They change the brightness a little bit and try to use different strokes like watercolor or different brush 
to reproduce this in their art. So this is kind of the transforming machine between the input and output, just like when we are creating coding art. So that's the first inspiration and input. And then after I create the first version of that, I simulate the particles and I feel that it feels like the mountains and village. So that's why I start finding like different mountain and village around the world and start, start to find that how this looks like. Maybe I can place some trees, maybe can I add some windows to those wavy shapes. So it links more to people's memory about what they see in their real life. Yeah. And finally, I picked some vibrant colors. So I referenced some color from traditional Chinese temple and also a little bit from like Mexican culture. So that's kind of a mixture of the vibrant color of different cultures, but they all use like vibrant, like all the colors around, but they didn't fight with each other. So <laughs> I'm really excited to create a work with such vibrant color and remind some imaginary village. So I call it fairy village and, but it's still very generative art. You can feel like it's, it's made by sine waves and being by those math and physical rules. Yeah. So I looked up the piece, and I, I hope we have the ability to show this work, but it's a film from 1963 by Edward Zajic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it's the first computer animated film. It was created at Bell Labs, and it's a one and a half minute film. The film is called Simulation of a Two-Gyro Gravity Gradient at an Attitude Control System. And it's basically like a spinning sphere with it, what looks like a satellite moving around it and a clock. And... I see this film a lot because I teach a class called Recreating the Past. And in the class, we recreate artworks from artists from the past. So for example, Ken Knowlton, who recently passed away, who was a researcher at Bell Labs and did a lot of work with pixels and mosaics, we study his work and we recreate his work. And there's a film called The Incredible Machines from 1968 that's all about Bell Labs and the kind of the interesting and weird stuff that they were making there. And this film from Zajak is in that film. I teach this class every semester, so I've seen this film numerous times. And what I love about it is that it's the first animated film, and it's just this spinning sphere. And it is the kind of root of what I'm doing with my piece, which is spinning a sphere of points. And I think when you find these references from history, you can make work that's in conversation with them, that you can have a kind of dialogue or a conversation with artwork and artists that have come before and try to imagine them in today's voice with today's tools with today's energy and i try to encourage my students to do that as well you know i think a lot of times in this sort of technical field we have a tendency to kind of think about the future and talk about the future like oh this is what the world's going to look like in 10 years or 100 years etc i often find the best ideas and the best inspiration come from looking at the past so like oh here's the first computer animated film from 1963 and maybe i can create work that's in a kind of conversation with that so I don't know if we have the rights to show that work. I'm not sure, but if we can, what I love about it is that I tried to make my piece exactly the same length. And it's a kind of, yeah, having a conversation with history. Really thankful you brought up kind of your work at MIT Media Lab, because I wanted to segue into how both of you are kind of teaching the next generation of creative coders. And what is that process like? And why do you think it's important? So I actually opened an online course, like I have several online courses. First one is about dynamic website, how to make good 
by like jQuery or uh, WebGL Canvas. And also after I studied in New York University, I learned that like what I created before, it's actually just called creative coding already. <laughs> so after I learned all the things in New York University and also being a teaching assistant for two years of creative coding classes. So I organized those coding methods and how to combine and make them into a art. Because for me and for new students, I think it's often hard for them to refine their work from a prototype to what seems more complete. So the distance between like how to make it more complete is some technique and also how to make it more um, detailed and how to use different colors, how to use different technique to create this art, like particles or also mathematic formulas. In the lessons I design, I often let students know that it's only techniques, but I like to let people know you have something in mind to create first, and then I can teach you how to use those tools to reach your final goal and how to express yourself. But I will not affect what you want to express. So I will just ask them a lot of different questions, what they finally want to approach. Do they have different inspirations from like their mood boards and you know, things they want to explore about? Yes. Yeah, in terms of my teaching, I mentioned this class, Recreating the Past. And in the class, every week, I talk about a different artist and designer that relates to the kind of roots of computational art. So, for example, I start with Vera Molnar, who is a Hungarian-born artist, lives in Paris now. And since the 70s, she's been writing code to control a pen plotter to make these beautiful drawings that have a lot to show us about the relationship of order and chaos. So we use her work as a chance to talk about randomness and noise. And John Whitney, who's a filmmaker who would take decommissioned analog computers and repurpose them, making these kind of animation machines. We study Miro Cooper, who helped create the MIT Media Lab. And the work of her students is really important in the development of typography and the relationship of computation and typography. So each week gives us a chance to focus on or think about a different technical concept. But what I love more than anything, so I'm kind of, you know, throughout the weeks, I'm giving these sort of personal stories, like Ken Knowlton is an artist who I, I had a chance to work with. So I talk a little bit about my experiences or other artists that I like bumped into, like I saw their work at an exhibition and it really meant a lot to me. So I try to tell that story. But the last week of class, I asked students to pick an artist and recreate their work. And that's my favorite week of class because then I'm so excited they bring in all of these really different artists that mean a lot to them. And they're having a conversation with those artists. And I think a lot about, there's this book that I really love called New Program for Graphic Design by David Reinfurt. And he's talking about these designers that I love like Muriel Cooper. But in the introduction, he says, I want you to read this book, then I want you to rip it up and write your own book which I think such a beautiful sentiment. And that's how I feel about the class is that I wanna kind of, I go through these artists and they're really heroes to me, and but I want the students to find their own heroes. So I'm really, I love the last week because then it's really that you can start to see the start of that journey of them having this conversation with and recreating these works from different artists. Amazing, and thank you both. So we're coming to our last questions now and we're gonna be doing this for each podcast episode we do. So we have, Three more questions, and the only thing we ask is in your answer, either answer it in one sentence or one word. And so we'll just do back and forth as we work through these three. So okay. the first one is, what inspires you in this space? And we'll start with you, Zach. Yeah, experimentation. Simulation. Okay, our second question. 
What is one artist you would love to own an NFT by? Vera Molnar, Taylor Hoffs. <laughs> Both great choices, by the way. The last one, what technological advancements do you think this space needs? This was a tough one. Yeah, I think we need new technologies for showing, engaging, and living with this kind of artwork. Amazing. And Cheyu? I'm also thinking a new medium with technology to allow people to intuitively feel and engage with the work. Well, amazing. Thank you both. Thank you again, Zach and Cheyu. And to the audience, make sure you log on to Unit London's website and you can view their work online. And if you come to London during September 13th to October 16th of 2022, you'll be able to see their works in the physical exhibition. And so we're so thankful that you guys joined us today and best of luck. And we'll be so excited for this exhibition and for more to come as well. Thank you both. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Unit on Chain, a podcast series from Unit London. Visit our generative art exhibition, Inner Code, at Unit London on display from September 13th to October 16th. You can find the transcript of this conversation on our blog at unitlondon.com. Subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week where we'll be talking to Sophia Crespo and Helena Sarin about creating art with AI, training data sets, and the role of the artist in the digital age. Join AOI's Discord channel for Friday masterclasses, an exclusive look into the creative process of some of today's top NFT artists.